You guys have probably all had the experience of having the breath knocked out of you, right? Have you guys ever fallen down and like, oh, it hurts, can't breathe? You guys have all done that, right? Well, Queen of Sheba came and when she saw everything that Solomon had, her breath was knocked out of her. She was rich. She was powerful. She had abundance of wealth and servants. She had all that the best counselors could offer her in terms of advice and wisdom. But when the Queen of Sheba heard about Solomon, she heard about something that was intriguing to her. Intriguing enough to take a trip, to make a journey. Now, when you are the ruler of a country, you do not lightly leave your country. Especially at that time where you're not talking about hopping on a plane on Friday, speaking in Moscow on Saturday, and hopping on a plane and coming back and having dinner at home on Sunday. Right? No, this, this was a trip. You don't bring a large retinue of people and so many spices that the like was never seen again in Israel with you without doing a lot of work to prepare. It takes a lot of time in preparation. It takes a lot of time to get there. And if you are going to spend weeks on the road and the discomforts of travel, the dust, the, the lack of sleeping in your bed at home, a new place. You got to make those trade-offs too of, you know, how comfortable are you going to be versus how quickly are you going to get there? You know, it's always, it's always a trade-off, right? It's a balance. Which one? Because you can, you can make it more comfortable by only traveling a couple of hours a day, but then it's going to take you forever to get there. And this is still the case when we're driving, right? How many stops are you going to make? Well, the more stops you make, the more comfortable you're going to be, especially your bladder. But the more stops you make, the longer it is till you can get there and get into a nice, comfortable, permanent home. A nice, comfortable bed, right? Eat home-cooked meals instead of fast food. Well, we may all make a different trade-off calculation. That calculus there may all land at our own little particular place preferences. But one thing you know, you want to get there in the end. So you are making trade-offs. And so she made the trade-off of leaving her country 
in the care of faithful counselors and rulers in her stead, of course, right? Which is not something you undertake lightly. And also requires your country to be stable, in good condition. Requires you to have trusted, truly wise people who you can leave it with. Do you guys remember reading uh, the, let's see, what is it, Farmer Boy story where the parents leave for a couple of weeks and leave the kids in charge of the house? Is that in Farmer Boy? Did I get that right? Yeah. Have you kids ever read that story? You adults ever thought about what in the world those parents were thinking? And all the stuff that those kids got up to while they were gone? The last instructions of the parents were, don't use all the sugar. First thing they did was make candy, ice cream, cake, donuts too. And then <laughs> mom and dad come back and kids are like, um, we didn't use all the sugar. There's a couple of tablespoons left. The you know, barrel of sugar is gone. Queen of Sheba wasn't leaving little kids in control of her kingdom. She needed people who were truly wise, right? So why does she do this? Why does she take these risks, the risks of travel, the, the cost of travel, the gifts that she brings are a cost that you, she knows she's going to be giving those from the beginning, before she even leaves, right? Why does she do all of this work? Why does she make all of these trade-offs? Why does she sacrifice all of these things to come to Jerusalem to see Solomon? Well, she wanted to see whether it was true, right? But it's also clear she had questions. If this man is truly as wise as I have heard, I would like to speak to him about the meaning of life. You understand, these are the kinds of, these are the kinds of questions that make it worthwhile to leave your country, to leave your home. To go and to seek a wise man. Who can you speak to about these things? Who can you speak to about how to rule a kingdom? Well, you can speak to your counselors, but what if they're fighting with each other and you don't know how to handle it? Who do you talk to then? Call your mom? Not a bad idea. Solomon sounds like a good bet. He's clearly figured out this ruling thing. So she comes, and I want you to just 
go back to that first verse, right? We know she came. She came to see Solomon. She came to ask him questions. She came to see whether he was truly as wise as was reported. She came to see whether he was really as fabulously wealthy. She came to see whether he was truly as successful as she had heard, right? But look at the first verse again. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to test him with difficult questions. Now, she did not come to test him in the sense of, let's come up with tricky riddles and see if we can catch him and go, aha, ha <laughs> She came to test him in the sense of, let's find the metal. I don't mean metal like this thing, or this thing, kids. When we test somebody's metal, we find how strong they are. We find how wise they are. Whether they can hold up to scrutiny. So she is coming to test him in the sense that she wants to see what he's made of. She wants to see the depth of his wisdom. Not because she desires him to fail, not because she desires to show herself wiser, but because if he really is as deep as the reports say, his well of wisdom, right? Then she can benefit. Let's see how deep this well is lower that bucket down in, right? I don't know why I'm talking about wells. None of you kids know what a well is. Oh, sure, you all know what a well is, right? But have you ever used one? I've never used one. I've never dropped a bucket into a well. How do we test things today? What kinds of things do we use to talk about how good something is? Well, we still see the uh, we still see the value of gold, right? That still exists. Um, we have different. We have different things that we use to talk about whether the money is green, right? If the money is green, it means it's real. It's trustworthy. Or we talk about, it's funny, another one that's green is the talking about the grass. When we say the grass is always greener on the other side, we're talking about evaluating how good something is, right? Now Solomon, <clears throat> she wanted to know, how green is that grass over there? 
How green is his money? Is his gold pure? How fabulously wealthy is he actually? Well, the whole point of this chapter is to display to us even more, once again, how fabulously wealthy he was. And it uses the Queen of Sheba to demonstrate to us, the reader, that even in the eyes of the world, even in the eyes of other kingdoms, even in the eyes of other rulers that were themselves fabulously wealthy, Sheba was known for its success as a kingdom, for its wealth. And so for the queen of Sheba to come and be awestruck, flabbergasted, to have her breath taken away as though she had fallen and gotten the breath knocked out of her. This is meant to communicate to us how truly blessed Solomon was. And so you go back to that first verse again and it says that she heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. Heard about the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. All of this chapter is put in the context of the Lord fulfilling his promise to bless Solomon. That when the Lord blesses his people, the name of the Lord is magnified. It is not just that the name of Solomon made it to Sheba. The name of the Lord made it to Sheba. Because these were the Lord's people. So Solomon's blessings from God continue in this chapter. Both his wealth and his wisdom were fantastic. And you remember that was what God's promise to Solomon was. Ask what you want and I will give it to you. And Solomon says wisdom so that I can rule your people with justice. And God says great. And I'm going to throw in riches too. That was a good thing to ask for. And here we see it playing out. The wealth is out of any ability for us to fathom. I looked it up, 666 talents. Paul did a better job communicating what that is, what, what did you say it was, 10, 10, just, yeah, just, you know, 10,000 years of work, give or take, for the, for the common laborer. Or you could put it in weight, about two tons of pure gold every year. Aside from the regular income that came It's just beyond our ability to comprehend. It's hard for us even to fathom. That's the wealth. It, it's shown in the it's shown in the shields that he made. You know. What's the what's the purpose of shields made of gold? Do do you guys do you kids know anything about gold? 
What, what can you tell me about gold, Judah? Yeah. It's really strong. Wrong. That's why I'm asking the question. Go ahead. It's really, really heavy. Okay, that's true. It's very, very heavy. What else can you tell me about it? Yeah, Zeal. It melts. It melts fast. Yeah, it can melt fast uh, at a at a low temperature. It's it's also because related to that, it is soft. Gold is soft and heavy. Now, if if you wanted to make a shield to protect you, that's okay, guys. Those are the two things I wanted to. Okay, thanks for raising your hands. If you wanted to make a shield. If you wanted to make a shield, what two things would you want it to be to protect you? So if you go on out fighting, what would you want it to be? Yeah. Strong. So so it has to be has to be hard, right? And what else? Strong and light. Okay, so you want your shields to be very strong and very light. And gold is very soft and very heavy. Then let me ask you something. Why do you make shields with gold? What do you think? You already answered. Nope. Somebody else. Why? Why do you make shields of gold? What do you think? Somebody answer. Because they look awesome. That's it. They're, they're fantastic. They're fabulous to show off, right? If anybody ever carried those into battle, it would be next to the king, right? To show this man is in charge. This man has all that you could possibly want and more. This man has so much gold that he's going to throw it away on shields to make them useless but to look nice. And then he's going to put them in the hands of men who won't be able to fight because they're too busy carrying these heavy shields. Now, these were not made of pure gold, okay? So I'm not going to say these shields were entirely useless. The smaller shields only probably had about four and a half pounds of gold on them, if you look at the measurements. And, and the larger ones, I can't remember what the, uh, the full body shields were, were more. But, but let me tell you something. You don't add four and a half pounds to a shield lightly, if you get my drift. A small shield. This is demonstrating Solomon's fabulous wealth. I'm sure you can't even imagine what they would look like. Walking into a hall of a, of a palace in the forest with these shields on the walls. Can you imagine? Hanging from the pillars. Firelight lighting the place, the sunshine maybe coming through, the reflection of the gold everywhere. Think of the throne 
covered in gold, inlaid with ivory, up on stairs. The stairs, you know, we think of stairs and it's like, oh, back there, you can see those stairs, they're standing up. Those stairs, no. We're not talking about a little cast gold lion that's like this big that would fit on one of those stairs. You see, we're talking lions. You don't make little lions to put on your little stairs. You make big stairs that'll take full-size lions. Two on each side facing. Can you imagine walking up that to the king to kiss his hand? Ring, maybe? Whoa. And it's not just, look at all this gold, right? It's, these are lions. I know they're not alive. You don't walk through between 12 full-size lions made of gold without thinking about getting eaten. You just don't. And then it says, there wasn't any throne ever like it before. It's not that kings hadn't existed before. It's not that they had never thought about making something grandiose before. It's that Solomon was fabulously wealthy, fabulously powerful. Do you know when you make shields of gold? When you know you'll never have to use them. They're not concerned. You've got the power. You've got the power to show that you've got the power. You've got the wealth to demonstrate it. And his wisdom. Even the outside world recognized his wealth and his wisdom. It wasn't just people in Jerusalem who thought, you know, these are country hicks. Oh, wow, our king is great. He's got so much money. He built a palace. No, no. The whole world knew. The, the, the rumor had gone out to far countries, down into Arabia, off the Red Sea. And eventually the Queen of Sheba heard about it. And so she comes. She seeks Solomon and his wisdom and his fame. She seeks him out. She's not even a worshiper of God. Right? Not an Israelite, not a Jew, not one of God's chosen people. But the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord had gone out. And so she comes.
What do we see here? What we see is that God is the one that is at work blessing Solomon. We're reminded at the very beginning of the chapter. It is God who receives all the glory and all the praise for what he has made Solomon. Why does God get all the praise? Because he's the one who gave everything that Solomon has to Solomon. You understand? He's the one who gave everything to Solomon. He's the one who gave him wisdom. He's the one who gave him the throne. He's the one who gave him peace. He's the one who gave him wealth. He's the one who gave him everything he has. How absurd to come to see the glory of Solomon and then not to praise God for it. Doesn't make any sense. Of course you praise God for it. And so that's what the Queen of Sheba does. She talks about how wonderful it would be just to be a servant of Solomon. Because then you'd be able to listen to his wisdom day by day. And she praises God for giving that to his people. She says, verse 9, or verse 8, How blessed are your men, how blessed are these your servants, who stand before you continually and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God, who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Because God loved Israel, therefore he made Solomon king and gave him this wisdom and, and so that he could do what was good for the people, ruling them with justice. Which is just what Solomon wanted, right? And so what she says is, man, God loves his people. How beautiful is that? God loves his people. So he gave them a good king. How amazing is that? God loves his people, so he provided them a way that there would be justice in the land. Isn't that good for the people? Isn't that good for God's people? Isn't that a great reason for us to praise God the way that the Queen of Sheba praised the name of the Lord? Having heard that Solomon had been blessed by God, so God's name is what's going out along with Solomon, right? Having heard that, she comes and she says, it's true, God has blessed this nation, his people. Isn't that interesting? She doesn't say, because the Lord loved you, he made you wealthy, made you wise. It's because God loved his people that he made you wealthy, that he made you wise.
So even the outside world recognized it. Even the powerful, fabulously wealthy herself, Queen of Sheba, came to seek the Lord and the wisdom of the Lord through Solomon and praised the name of the Lord. Now, as I was preparing my sermon, I thought about, at this point, thinking just about the blessings that we've been given. Do we recognize the blessings that we've been given? Or do we read about Solomon and think, yeah, back then they were blessed. Back then the people of God got blessings from him. Back then they were fabulously wealthy in Jerusalem. God's people had lots. Do we take for granted the blessings that God has poured out on us? Do you guys remember the old song, Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. It's an old one. I got some no's out there. (laughs) I love that song, just thinking about the words, count your blessings at the end. It slows down, name them one by one. Do we ever take the time to think about how God has blessed us? To actually think through, yeah, this is what God has done for me. We read an entire chapter here on top of a previous chapter of describing the blessings, the details, naming them one by one, how God had poured out his blessing on his people. Do we take for granted the blessings that God has poured out on us? Or do we know God has given us many good things and do we remember it? Can we list them? And then, it doesn't just say, name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See how great you are. That's not how it ends. See what God has done. See what God has done. It points us. When we receive blessings, they are meant to point us back to God who gave them to us in the first place. The Queen of Sheba knew that. We are the people of God. Do we not know that? Do we not know enough to even be thankful? To respond to the many gifts by praising God? Or do we take them for granted? If we don't praise God, if we don't give Him the glory for our success in life, for our health, for our job, our wealth, our family, What are all of the things that you think are great about your life? If we don't praise God, we will be condemned by the Queen of Sheba. 
not even one of God's chosen people. Matthew 12, 42 says, The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment. This is not a, uh, this is not a metaphor or a parable or anything make-believe. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The queen of the south will rise up with this generation at the judgment. And will condemn it. Because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. All who refuse to come and worship Jesus will be condemned by the Queen of Sheba. The evidence was clear enough just when there was a king in God's country, that was fabulously wealthy and successful and wise. Let alone when the true king who he was meant to picture came on the scene with words that gave life, eternal life. Solomon could never do that. Who could lay down his life and did so that his people would live. The one who loved his people enough to send Solomon and give him those blessings in the first place. That king, that king came. Do we worship him? If you don't worship him, the Queen of Sheba will point her finger at you and say, you had a lot more than me to go off of. You had a lot more evidence than I did. And all you had to do was get up and drive across town to church. I had to go on a months-long expedition You didn't even have to go anywhere. It, it played over your radio. And you refused to repent. Your parents took you to church. And you didn't worship the king who made you? You didn't give God the glory? You didn't praise him when you saw what he had decided to do? The love that he had for his people? He poured it out. I could see it when Solomon was alive. You ever think what it would look like for her to condemn? That's what it, those are the kinds of things. She's going to have reasons. She's going to have comparisons. She's going to say what she saw versus what you got a chance to see. She came from the ends of the earth. To hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. If we take the gift of God for granted. 
the wise men, the magi of the east will be scandalized at our idiocy. Can you imagine what they thought of Herod? Can you imagine what they thought of the religious leaders? They come to Jerusalem and they say, the king has arrived. The king has been born in Israel. We saw his star in the east. And then God has to warn them in a dream not to tell Herod so that he won't kill the king. What in the world is wrong with these people? Their king, their promised one, the Messiah, has come. And they don't care. In fact, they want to kill him. You say, oh, well, I don't want to kill anybody. Do you worship Jesus as king? Or do you just not care? We are to seek God. We've got this beautiful promise as Jesus is leaving. He gives us this command to spread the gospel, right? The Great Commission. But, but as he gets to the end of that short command, what he says is, teaching them, everybody that we spread this gospel to, we're to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And then he ends with this beautiful promise, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He hasn't left us. He hasn't left us alone. He has promised that he is with us. Queen of Sheba didn't have that. Solomon didn't even have that. Nobody had that until then. Until the fullness of time came and Jesus was born. All they had was the pictures. Solomon, that king who demonstrated in his glory, in his majesty, in his wealth, in his power, in his wisdom, the great king that would come, that would rule God's people in love and in justice with truth and righteousness. That king, that king has promised that he is with us to the end of the age. Is that a blessing? Is that something that we count among our blessings, among our many blessings that we name one by one? We must seek God. Now that's a promise to God's people. If you are not 
one of his people. If you do not worship him, bow down in repentance, confess your sins, pray to him for your salvation. If you do not, the queen of Sheba condemns you. But if you do not, listen. Listen to the Apostle Paul speaking to the Athenians. He says that they would seek God if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. And that's my declaration to all of you now. God is not far from each one of you, whether you worship him or not. And that's a fearsome thing. Because it means, no, he is not hard to find. If you seek him, you will find him. He is not far. But it also means if you don't care to seek him, if you don't care to find him, if you don't bother to, he's right there. And in the end, he will judge. He will judge you. Solomon himself wrote Psalm 72. I was tempted just to read the whole thing. I'm going to read selections from it. It's still a little bit long. A Psalm of Solomon. I want you to see the things that connect to our passage. Like Sheba shows up in here, okay? I want you to pay attention as I'm, as I'm reading these verses it sounds in some ways like he's describing himself, right? But, it, but he's talking about King Jesus, the one that he's imaging, the one that he's just a small picture of in his glory. So you get that in this verse, picking up in Psalm 72. Let them fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon, throughout all generations, may he come down like rain upon the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and abundance of peace till the moon is no more. There was abundance, there was peace in the day of Solomon, right? But not till the end of the moon and the sun. May he also rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Let the nomads of the desert bow before him and his enemies lick the dust. Let the kings of Tarshish and of the islands bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba offer gifts. Let all the kings bow down before him. All nations serve him. So may he live. And may the gold of Sheba be given to him. And let them pray for him continually. Let them bless him all day long. May his name endure forever. May his name increase as long as the sun shines, and let men bless themselves by him. 
Let all nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And may the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This is Solomon. He's not writing about himself. Solomon saw himself, he saw the blessing that it was from God on God's people, and he realized there's a king coming. A king who will truly rule with the righteousness and wisdom that I don't even begin to comprehend. Now, In the midst of this, we read about Solomon multiplying horses for himself. Right in the midst of his fabulous wealth, you read about part of that being demonstrated through the number of horses and chariots that he had, right? That makes sense. It's part of the military power. It's part of Counting out how much money he had. But maybe some of you don't remember Deuteronomy 17, 16, which reads, Moreover, speaking of the king, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself. And it gets more specific than that. Nor... Shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses? Where was Solomon getting his horses from? In droves. Did you get kids hear where he was getting those horses from? Yeah, Zeal. Egypt. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Psalm 20, verse 7, we read, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. We don't read of Solomon boasting in his horses or his chariots, but we do read of him multiplying them, specifically as God said not to do. Now, this is where I want you to be very careful. Because it's easy for us to say, oh, all of this stuff is bad. No. No, not all of this stuff is bad. God's blessing is meant to be demonstrated here clearly through the wealth that was poured out on Solomon and in, to the rest of the country and the rest of the people. Okay? But with great wealth comes great temptation. To trust in our wealth and the protection and weapons that wealth can buy. There's a lot of different kinds of protection 
that wealth can buy, right? The weapon that I want costs about $575, I guess. I, I just found out. Okay. Takes money, doesn't it? What's my trust in? What's my trust in? What's your trust in? To boast in chariots is to say, I'm safe. Because I have, what? Insurance? A personal safety plan? An emergency fund? I'm safe because I'm armed. I'm safe because I'm trained. I'm safe because I'm strong. I'm safe because I exercise. So I'm healthy. I'm safe because if anybody comes after me, I've got enough money to hire a lawyer. That's what safety really requires. I'm safe because even if I get arrested, I can buy my way out of jail. Or I can buy my way into a private facility. Luxury accommodations. What is your strength? What's your trust in? With great wealth comes great temptation to trust in our wealth. We must trust God instead of our money. Now, it only seems reasonable to make use of the money God has given us to fight the way the ungodly fight. And this is what it means to multiply horses. You want to be safe? All right. Here's how the Egyptians keep their power. They multiply horses. And so if you don't do it, what are you, dumb? Don't you like winning? I'll never forget talking to a man who described going to a church where God's name is not feared, where his commands are not taught. He sits under a woman pastor preaching peace, peace, where there is no peace. And do you know why? Because it's strategic. Because that church has beautiful, beautiful building in the center of town. And more money than many other churches combined. 
What a joke. What a fool. As if wealth is going to buy you what you need to win. We don't need their money. We don't need their beautiful buildings. It is not strategic to put your faith in these things to win the way that the world wins. You won't. You won't win. The moment you take your faith off of God and begin to trust in money, you're a fool. And yet when you walk away from these things because of principle to say, I trust God. You can have the money. You can have the chariots. You can have the horses. You can have all the weapons. I've got God. The world will mock Half the church will scorn. They'll call you dumb. They'll say you just don't like winning. And it's just at the moment of God's blessing that we're tempted to forget him. And to put our trust in those things that he has given us. No, we're not to frown skeptically at God's blessing. (laughs) We are to smile and receive it with gratitude, right? If he gives us wealth, we praise his name. We celebrate it. We invite others to celebrate with us. We share it. We give it back to Him. We glorify Him with it. We use it to build His name and His glory and His kingdom. Yes, all of these things. This is not God's curse. It is His blessing on Solomon. We're even to pray for these blessings. There is nothing wrong with praying that God would give you health, right? Please heal me, God. Please keep me safe. And when he answers, you praise him. Not the company that made the car and the airbags and designed it with safety in mind, right? You praise God's name for keeping you safe. But we must remember that to whom much is given, much will be required. And that includes all his blessings. All the money that he's given us. You you can count them one by one in your budget. And you can count them one by one in your income. And you can count them one by one as you're saving up to buy the next thing that you're saving up to buy. Those are each individual blessings. You can count them. Name them one by one. And every added one is an added responsibility that you are to remember 
To whom much is given, much will be required. And we must remember that with money comes particular temptation to trust in our money or in the things that money can buy. But God is the one who blesses us, who provides for us, who protects us, who loves his people. The Queen of Sheba saw it. Do we see it? 